Hey folks, thanks for tuning in again, or for the first time, to my silly little podcast, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I ferret through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and take a light-hearted, positive, fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless, set theme every episode, and I sometimes highlight some rock and roll bed shits just for some fun. It's really just an attempt to archive some stories, old YouTube interviews, and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of laid-back, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some music or some merch, or listen to an old favourite album, and check out all this amazing shit that I adore, which has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think if I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at thisisnotarealemailaddress at gofeckyegoodself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with two Ks, and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast or via the website a rock and roll rabbit hole.com that's com spelt with a c the website also has spotify playlist of all of the songs used in each episode past episodes as well and some other golden magic and i also have some small playlists of the great lesser known artists that i like to highlight at the end of each episode on the victims tab of the website Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. If you are digging it, that's super helpful and genuinely appreciated. Thanks again. Apologies in advance, and here goes. Hello, thanks so much for checking out my silly little podcast, and this is part three and the final instalment of Triple Up. Check out part one and part two if you haven't, there's some great stories and magic. The rules are as follows, it needs to be a song that I like that has a single word repeated a minimum of three times, and it can't be a repeated phrase like... And if you missed episode two, here's the tunes we used to squeeze the episode out. And apologies in advance to any Bill Cosby fans. Hey, hey, hey!
This is Bill Cosby coming at you with music and fun. And if you're not careful... Rape, 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 That's enough of that. Oh, fuck off, mate. Go, 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 they said. Go, go, go! Go, go, go! Justin Hawkins writes again. So we ended the last part of the episode with Aretha Franklin, and here's some more triple up from Aretha with the multiple words think and freedom in her song, Think. You better think about what you're saying. You better think about the consequences of your actions. Oh, shut up, woman. You better think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me, yeah. Think, 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 let your mind go, let yourself be free. Compensate for all the grim death news reports last episode. Let's lighten it up with Rodney Rude singing Run, 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 Num, Num, Num. Oh, 
In the 1980s, being arrested and charged for pushing comic boundaries was a risk regularly run by one of Australia's most popular stand-up comedians. OK, here's a comedy subject. Any coppers in tonight? Yeah! Because I want to buy some cheap cannabis. <laughs> I did a barroom in WA. And the bouncer had said to me, he said, oh, Rodney, he said, there's um, a couple of detectives in tonight and they're going to arrest you. And, and it was all over policeman jokes. You know, the more I told policeman jokes, the angrier they got. <laughs> I said, oh, ladies and gentlemen, there was a couple of Perth detectives in a long-term gay relationship they decided to go and buy a big black strap-on. So they're at home on Sunday and one of them said, ah, where's the new strap-on? And his mate said, ah, he said, it's in the freezer. He said, ah, what's it in the freezer for? He said, I thought while we're watching the footy on TV, you might feel like a cold one. And of course, the, the coppers got, uh, when I said that, they, the one guy was a short ass and he went all red. He was angry. Rodney Roode was arrested for obscenity in a public place. As one of the leading comedians on the club circuit, he felt he had to fight for his freedom of speech for the sake of Australian comedy. I don't want to sound like I'm a big note in myself, but I, I just at the time thought that I, I need to be the one to stand up. And, and I just got angry. Rude's routines were read out word for word in court, which only strengthened his case. Those judges there, you know when people try not to laugh when you're a kid in school? He had his face like that and he's going like this. Holding his face so he wouldn't laugh. In a game-changing verdict, Rodney Rude won his case. Blazing a trail for comedians to follow. They'll get by without their Rodney Pie. So run, Rodney, run, Rodney, run, run, run. Oh, fuck off home, mate. Rodney Rude is alive and well and probably doesn't have much in common with Tracy Chapman, except for being alive, but they both have songs that mention the word run multiple times. And here's Tracy Chapman's talking about a revolution. There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs Four people gonna rise up And take what's theirs The 
the sound of 500 single Canadian ladies. Oh, fuck off home, mate. <laughs> and the Eurythmics, Thorn in My Side, has multiple runs in the backing vocals. Sydney band from the 90s put out a great record called Dailao, which means dead already in Thai. It has a super heavy song on it called Filth, and at the end it has five mentions of jealousy. So I did a bit of a deep dig on some names and here's some triple up magic.
Bon Scott's not talking about the man's name, Jack, but I'm going to chuck it here anyway because I love this guitar solo. Hey, you've answered this question a million times, but we have to get to the bottom of it. You wrote that song about Dave Coulier from Full House? People talk about who that song's about, and they will continue to, and I never I never confirm or affirm who it's about, and I never will. You're kidding me. Well, I say never, and I sh- really shouldn't say never, because I may very well one day do it, but... You've I, never revealed... How did his name even come up? Do you know that guy? You dated him. Yeah, you, I did date you, him. You dated him? Yes, I did. Aha! So, when did Dave Coulier, when did you start dating him? I was 19. 19. I was singing at an all-star hockey game. I was doing the national anthem, and he was playing. Ah. And you were that worked up about him that you'd write a song? I feel it is about him. You know who told me? Who told you? Stamos. John Stamos told Yeah, he told ah. me that, too. Ah. The thing is, there was no one in the studio when I wrote that song, so no one actually knows. And not that I'm just doing it gratuitously for the sake of mystery, but I didn't write it with the intention of recriminating him. So you got like like all these people looking at you a certain way, whether it's you know Ghostbusters or Full House or any of this stuff, and you're a dad and you're doing all this stuff, and then these Alanis Morissette rumors start rearing their ugly head. Are you going like I really I don't need this out there right now, or are you like yeah, this is, it is what it is. It was what it was. Yeah, you know we dated, and she was writing all of that jagged little pill stuff during that time, and and I never saw this you know angry white girl thing that she's you know that people have kind of coined her as i never saw that she was funny she was sweet she was super intelligent super talented um so i never i never saw that but when people would you know that was 95 when jagged little pill came out and uh i started here's the story i'm driving in detroit and i've got my radio on and I hear the hook for You Oughta Know, come on the radio. And I'm like, wow, this is a really cool hook. And then I start hearing the voice. I'm like, wow, this girl can sing. And I had no idea, you know, that, that this was the record. And hey, I uh, gave someone a cross. And then I, <laughs> and then I was like, uh, I'm listening to the lyrics going, ooh, oh, no. Oh, I can't be this guy. And I went to the record store, bought the CD, and I went and I parked on a street and I listened to the whole record. And there was a lot of familiar stuff in there that her and I had talked about, like your your shake is like a fish. You know, I'd go, hey, dead fish me, you know, and we'd do this dead fish handshake. And, and so I started listening to it and I thought, ooh, 
I think I may have really hurt this woman. And that was my first thought. And so years later, we reconnected and uh, she couldn't have been sweeter. And I said, what do you want me to say when people ask me about this relationship? And she said, you can say whatever you want. So she was really sweet about it. She was kind. Um, I'll tell you the kind of person she is. When my sister Sharon was dying with cancer, Alanis was living in Toronto. My sister was in Detroit. She actually drove to Detroit with her guitar and sat with my sister playing songs and singing to my sister in the hospital. Wow. That's, that's the kind of human being she is. Yeah. So I've never had anything bad to say about her. She's lovely. Yeah. What uh, Now, when you were in that theater that she references, what okay. movie were you watching? <laughs> you know, you, you, do that, uh, you do that popcorn cup trick one time and it backfires on you. In part two, we heard some hey hey's from Shout from the Isley Brothers. And just a side note on the Isley Brothers, they've been active since 1954 and released their first album called Shout in 1959 and released their 32nd album in 2022. How's this for a workload? In 1969, they released two albums. Then up until 1983, they released an album a year, including two in 1981. Fucking fun fact. So Shout also has multiple Shout mentions, as does Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. If you listen to the podcast Time Suck, this triple devil mention might tickle your triple nipple. So here's a few eyes from Bob Marley's I Shot the Sheriff, 
and then a bunch of eyes from a song that went to number one in Australia, UK, and number two in Norway. Two. From December 1984, Jim Diamond's I Should Have Known Better. I Should Have Known Better. The Beatles also have a song called I Should Have Known Better that has some hey, hey, hey's in it. Talking Heads, Wild Wildlife has some wilds at the end. Some multiple wilds from David Lee Roth in Yankee Rose. She's a big, fat, stupid bitch. Don't say it, Cartman. Well, Don't do it, Cartman. Well, I'm warning you. Okay, okay. I'm getting pretty sick of him calling my mom. Well, Cause my bitch, she's a big, fat bitch. She's the biggest bitch in the whole wide world. She's a stupid bitch. She's never was a bitch. She's a bitch to all the boys and girls. Shut your fucking mouth, Cartman. On Monday, she's a bitch. On Tuesday, she's a bitch. And Wednesday to Saturday, she's a bitch. Then on Sunday, just to be different. She's a super king. Come a me a bitch. You all know the word. Have you ever met my big cosmos? She's the biggest. 
Welcome to the bitch zone. The bitch is back by Elton John. First LA Guns album also has a song called Bitch is Back, but unfortunately it doesn't have any triples. But Guns N' Roses have a load of bitches at the back of Back Off Bitch. And I just lost a couple of hours on LA Guns. The first record has multiple fights on Shoot to Thrill. anyone but I love that first LA Guns album and I didn't realise that Shoot for Thrills is kind of a cover bass player Callie Nichols wrote it and recorded with his previous band called Sweet Pain a few years before the LA Guns album was released Mick Cripps is an Aussie oh fuck off mate anyway back to where I said no one will probably care here's a bit of the Sweet Pain version of Shoot for Thrills
Frantic by Metallica has ticks. Here's a long story that I really enjoyed, told by Glenn Hansard about our next offender. I guess to make a long story, I'll, I'll give you a very brief version of it, in that I was a busker, uh, that's well known, and my friend Marina Guinness, who's part of the Guinness family, uh, was someone who I'd, I would meet on the street. She was a slightly older woman than me and she would give me money and she was always very supportive. So she came to me one day and she said, Glenn, if you, if you want to come out next Saturday to the house, uh, Van is turning 50 and just going to be a, you know, just going to be a bit of a... Because she knew you're... She knew I was a big fan, yeah. And I used to busk his songs, you know, and still do. Right. Uh, and so so, so she so she invited me out. She said, come out, bring a bottle of port because Van likes port. You know, come out, it'll be a lovely night. But, you know, keep it on the quiet because, you know, I don't want to... It's not going to be a big affair. And I was so grateful and so thankful. And, uh, and I went out to the house which is a good bit out in the country and I had a little motorbike and I drove out and it was raining all the way so I got there I was like a drowned rat me and my girlfriend on the back How old were you? I would have been so that was I would have been like 8 no I want to say no maybe 20 Okay Maybe 19, 20 somewhere there There's no penalty if you're wrong 18 Yeah yeah, What's that? No penalty No Um, And so we got there and uh, and and we went in and it was van and there was a few people and uh, you know, it was just like people sitting around eating food, and it was just like a few people like Van and Jerry Lee Lewis and a couple other people, and you know, and like, and and it was just a very small gathering. And anyway, we sat down at dinner, and we were kind of vaguely introduced to Van. He's like, "Hey, how's it going?" We all ate, and and afterwards we went to a different room for drinks. And someone came into the room at one point and said, "Everybody, come on into the kitchen. Van is singing some songs." And, uh, and then we went in, and Van and Jerry Lee were were, were singing. And so, how many people, just to get a picture in our minds, were in the kitchen at that point? Maybe ten. Okay. Yeah, maybe ten okay. people. Um, and I'm just sitting there, floored, blown away, looking at this, just loving it, loving it, loving it, you know, just because I'm a huge fan. And he's singing an old Hank Williams song. He's singing, some, like, some Blue Sky Boys songs and Waylon Jennings and, like, just great old country music. And then at one point he just said, does anyone want to hear a song? Any requests? He said, any requests? And, uh, and I didn't know if I should say something, if I shouldn't. And I just said, Van, uh, you know, standing quite far back, I said, Hungry for Your Love. And, and Hungry for Your Love is a song of uh, Wavelength, which is an album he made, let me get this right now, it's either 78 or 79, or it could have been 80. I think it's 78. Uh, and it was one of the, I guess, lesser known records of his. Great record, amazing record, real soulful, kind of up. And Hungry for Your Love is one of the great songs off this record. And I said, Van, Hungry for Your Love. And he just looked over at me and says, You don't know me. And I just was like, oh, f- oh, wow, oh, fuck. And I just I just crushed, I crumbled inside. Uh, so I went outside, I sat down on the step, and I was like, right, okay, Jesus. And I was totally freaked out, because I'm just a kid, and I'm like, you know, I, you know, this is, this is someone I, uh, you know, he's like a Dylan to me. Because, you know, my, my heroes are Dylan, Van, and, and Leonard Cohen. They're my, they're my men. So I'm getting to hang out with one of them, and I can't believe it. Anyway, I'm outside and I'm thinking, right, I'll just go home. Yeah, I shouldn't have come here. And I'm, of course, I'm blaming myself because I'm Catholic. Uh, and 
<laughs> and, and so, you know, Marina comes out and says, no, come back into the house, no, come on, it's going to be cool, he'll be, you know, it's, he's just, you know, he, he's, he's a bit touchy sometimes, but honestly, trust me, come back in, it's all good, you know. So I went back in, I said nothing, I sat at the end of the room, and I listened, and I really enjoyed it, you know, I was really enjoying it still, but I, of course I knew not to cross him in any way. Mm. And again, at one point, he held up the guitar, he says, anyone else want to sing a song? And he was kind of passing the guitar on, and... Uh, and I'm doing a really bad impression of his accent, no, by the way, right. but just, you know. And so Marina... Yeah, you really can't do an Irish accent. Yeah, you know. Well, he's from Belfast, so it's a different thing. Uh, Marina said, Glenn, you'll sing a song. Glenn will sing a song. And, uh, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, please, you know, dear God, know, no. Haven't I done enough? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, no, don't please. And so Ivan looks down, he sees me, and, and, and Marina's like, come on, Glenn, come on. And people are like, come on, Glenn, sing a song. And I stand up and I walk to Van and he hands me the guitar and he stands up and walks out of the room. And I'm standing there at, by the guy and I'm thinking, oh God, you know, the only guy I want to actually sing to is gone. So I'm standing there with my guitar and I, I'm kind of freaked out because now I've kind of had another interaction with him and I don't want to be in his way at all. So I sang my song. Which, uh, which song? It, it was a song called Your Face, which was a brand new song. I'd just written it at the time. And then I sang a second song because people were like, sing another one. It was, that was lovely, you know. So I sang a second song. And during my second song, Van came back in and just sort of sat with his back to me at the table. And I was just devastated because, you know, again, I wanted so much for, you know, you want people to like you. You want people to... Not just people, this particular... Well, you people. want him to have some time for you, you know, or whatever. So, But it didn't seem like that was happening. Right. And I was having to, to deal with it, you know. Uh, and so I finished my second song and people clapped and Van turned his chair around and he said, what did you want me to sing? And, and I, says, uh, I said, hungry for your love. And I'm just like, totally, I'm trying not to look him in the eye. I'm kind of, you know, deferring away. And uh, he says, do you know it? I says, yeah. He says, well, sing it. <laughs> so, uh, so I had the guitar in my hand, and you know, and so I, I so thank God I know the song. So you know, so I was able to start playing it, and I go, ding, 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 ding. I'm like, I'm hungry for your love, and I'm singing the song, and I'm, I'm about two verses in, and he starts going, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, and and I'm kind of going to myself, I know that sound because I'm a big fan. I know on his records. When that happens, he's, oh, whatever. I just felt like he was into it. Right. So I'm getting something now. Yes. And I'm like, wow. And then he started kind of singing with me, like a kind of a harmony. Oh, wow. And and I'm freaked out, and he's kind of there, <laughs> and he's jo joining in. And, and you can tell by everyone around the room that there's something going down here. And everyone's kind of, it's almost like watching a, a boxing match. Everyone's on my side, you know. Like, you know, the kids are doing all right. <laughs> and I finished the song, and I, I finished it out, and he, and he, and he just says, do you know Bob Dylan? Oh my God! And I'm like, thank God, I know loads of Bob Dylan songs. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, which one? He said, it's all over now, baby blue. Mm -hmm. You take the first verse, I'll take the second verse. Oh my God! So I start playing it's all over now, baby blue, and Van sings his verse, and I'm blown away. I'm watching him. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm singing a fan. You know, it's like Janet with a Beatle. You know, yeah. it's like the most amazing thing. And and he's singing back and forth. It's better than Janet with a Beatle. What am I saying? It's Van Morrison. <laughs> and, uh, That's right. And so we're 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 singing back and forth, and it's an amazing experience. And I put down the guitar at the end of it. Everyone claps and I put down the guitar. And he just says, right, come on. And I'm like, what, what, where are we going? You know, don't know what, what's going on. Says, come on. And I take the guitar and we walk and I follow him and he brings me upstairs into this beautiful old house that the Guinnesses own. 
uh, and I go upstairs into a room, and he brings a you know some, brings a bottle of port up, and we put it down in there, and, and he sits me on the bed, and he's he's on one bed, I'm on the other bed. And he says, "Now sing for me, sing a song." And, uh, Jesus. And I was like, "Oh gosh!" <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm blown away because like now I've now it's just me and him. Now he's saying, "Show me your stuff." Right. And so I play a song of your own. Yeah, of my own uh, song called "The Dancer." I remember it was the first song I played, and he takes the guitar. What do you want to hear? And then I, I'm like, I'm like anything. I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, okay, so One Irish Rover, which is a song from No Guru, No Method, No Teacher, which is an amazing record of his. And he plays it. And what was amazing was I'm sitting there across from Van Morrison and I'm watching his fingers. I'm watching his throat. I'm watching his mouth. I'm watching how his mouth moves. I'm getting to sit and observe a master at work right up close. I'm watching everything because I'm just drinking the experience yeah. and I can't believe my look. And finishes the song, hands me the guitar, sing another. And I swear to God, I got to hear Madame George, I got to hear like Sweet Thing, I got to hear Astro Weeks, I got to hear all the songs, Into the Mystic, all the songs I've, I've ever loved of his. And we passed the guitar back and forth. I ran out of songs after like an hour and a half because <laughs> I, I wasn't old enough to have written that many songs. Like, like, you know, right. at, 20, at 20, I'm surprised you last an hour and a half. Right, it, well, Van yeah. kept going and kept going and all these songs. And the sun came up. And eventually, a knock on the door, and you know, Van's girlfriend at the time, uh, who was wondering where the fuck he'd been for six well, hours. Well, no, I think she knew where he was, and I think there was a real thing of like leave them. Like, sure, sure. And, uh, and she came in and said, "Van, we have to. It's time, you know." And Van got up, he stood up, and he and he said to me, "Nice voice, nice songs, blah blah blah." And he walked out, <laughs> and that was all he said to me. The whole night, we just sung to each other. There was no, we was no dialogue. There was no, like, when did you write that? There was nothing like. There was no, what's that chord? Nothing. No talk. Just sing, 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 sing. At the end of the night, nice voice, nice songs, blah blah blah. And he left. And I sat there feeling like I just won the lottery. Oh yes, you, you had. Know, like it was the most amazing. You had. And I and I and, and that deepened me. That experience deepened me so much because had I walked away on that first, you know, you don't know was, me. that challenge, I'd lost that whole night. And somehow, not even through my own volition, but through someone else's, I stayed, and and uh, and I actually—it was—it's an experience that I will take to my grave as in one of the great experiences of being with a master and him taking you all the way in and letting you see. Because all he, his only gift to me could really have been what he did. Here's what I do. Yeah. And here it is up close, and uh, and and his rhythm style. I mean, I've picked it up. The moment he left, I was like working out all the and doing the because he has this style of rhythm that's just so addictive and so powerful and so him, so clearly his that uh, I came away from that experience not only a bigger fan but a changed musician, changed like forever. Yeah. Oh, so much love from Van Morrison. She gave me love, 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 crazy love. Yeah, I need her. And here's a bit of Bob Dylan and Van Morrison doing crazy love. I can hear her heartbeat from a thousand miles. And the heaven open every time she smiles. Yeah, when I come to her, that's where I belong. Yeah, I run into her like a river song. 
So I couldn't think of a Bob Dylan song with a triple up in it. Call in if you have one. But there is a few links to Bob Dylan. His film clip for his 1965 song, Subterranean Homesick Blues, the one where he flips the big pieces of cardboard with the song's lyrics on it, was highly copied by NXS in their film clip for their 1987 song, the triple liberate mentioning Mediate. Yeah, I'm gonna cut you off there, sax man. Speaking of Bob Dylan's subterranean homesick blues, sort of, Radiohead have a song with a similar title, Subterranean Homesick Alien, which has multiple uptights in it. We heard Aretha Franklin and Counting Crows battle it out through chains and changes. And the Counting Crows song I'm talking over is Murder of One, and it also has these multiples. Feel like you're wasting your life, this might help you out. Yeah, you don't want to waste your life. 
veering a little bit off topic here, but this counting section in Murder of One reminded me of a great triple counting song we touched on way back in episode three's Counting and Countings. Some of the greatest triple number work ever, one through nine, a quadruple ten, and then three everythings. And then a bunch of what I'm taking up of yours, time. So here's the counting bit in A Murder of One by Counting Crows, and then Kiss Off by Violent Femmes. Timeless. What is that like for you now? Uh, well, it's great, of course. Unless it's a bar that I go into, in which case a, the house rules, they must take it off Does immediately. It, it must be it? like, take it off. I didn't know you were coming. That's why we're playing it. But we'll take it off. We'll take it off. It's crazy. I mean, how many times have you done, like, Kiss Off? How many times have you sung that song? Um, I would... Uh... I would guess uh, um, well over 2,000, maybe 3,000 times, four, maybe. <laughs> Which really, I Five, guess... Five, six, no, but, but yeah. And before we move on from August and Everything After by Counting Crows, here's some no's from Anna Begins. Some realies from raining in Baltimore. if you need a raincoat you need a raincoat if you're still listening thanks for hanging in there here's a few famous ones that need no introduction dream 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 
shirts, blue, blue, blue suede shoes, blue, blue, blue suede shoes, yeah, blue, blue, blue suede shoes, baby, blue, blue, blue suede shoes, well you can do anything but they hold for my blue suede shoes. Slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. more of our beloved years in the outro to Fat Bottom Girls. Some pleasers at the end of In My Place by Coldplay. A triple offending Aussie songs, Sunsets by Powderfinger and Take a Long Line by The Angels. Oh, 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 
Oh, fuck off, mate. Island in the Sun by Weezer has some hips at the start. One thing I have to ask you, because I, I, I can't forget this. The synchronization with The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> is bullshit. Is it bullshit? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, it may not be. It may be it that seems if like you the do what they say. It may be if you do what they say, but it has nothing to do with us, okay. any of us. Nothing to do with anyone in Pink Floyd or anyone who wrote or recorded any of the music. It's something that somebody thinks. So it's a, it's a coincidence of some time, and maybe it's cosmic coincidence. And it's I do like the story, though, of the cop in Louisiana following a bus, and it was weaving about the road a bit. And, and so he pulls it over, young motorcycle cop, boom, puts the bike up on the stand, opens the door, <laughs> nearly falls over there's so much smoke coming out through the bloody door he goes in it goes through and he's trying to f- find people you know with dope because it's just full of marijuana smoke eventually gets to the back of the bus where there's a private compartment and he opens the door and goes in and there's Willie Nelson and he and the story is that Willie Nelson is listening to Dark Side of the Moon and watching The Wizard of Oz on the TV. <laughs> and I don't believe it for a minute, but I like the story. Yeah, I don't even want to investigate that. I want it to be true. I don't want to find out it's not true. But if you, I've, I've watched it. I've watched The Wizard of Oz listening to The Dark Side of the Moon while high on marijuana. And if it's not on purpose, it is a cosmic coincidence. Because it's kind of amazing. Oh. It's kind of amazing how it, it just flows. I've watched The Wizard of Oz Dark Side of the Moon sync up on YouTube. There's a couple of little things in there, but I don't know. must need to smoke more than I do. Here's some aways at the end of money. play a bit of my song whiskey 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 for you i don't have a harmonica i'm just going to play it without the harmonica whiskey 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 water 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 sleep obviously i'm a huge paul mccartney fan but i'm not a big fan of the next two songs but they are multiple offenders and they will make sense a bit later on in the podcast
And the Rolling Stones' Emotional Rescue is also full of mines. Youth Gone Wild by Skid Row has years. And a few years in the solo of a cracking song from 1995 from No Hit Wonders, The Refreshments and the song's Banditos. Another relatively obscure one, some multiple souls from Mick Jagger's Peace for the Wicked from his Primitive Cool album, an album which I absolutely love. Body Jar do a cracking cover of Simon and Garfunkel's Hazy Shade of Winter. It starts off with some time. Give us some time, Sco. Fathers from System of a Down. Father, 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 
Metallica or within my hands? Here, so I'm going to put a fork in it and before I get to my favourite triple up mentioning song here's a little bit of a story from one of the songs mentioned earlier uh, Michael originally rang me said do you want to make some hits and I said yeah sure I do you know so he came over and we agreed to meet here no because I was quite excited to write with him he was quite excited yeah. to write with me so we were popping off each other yeah and um so we just we just did it as i say it, it was quite a short session so it was very nice we had a really good time we made a couple of records together did a video and um we're very good friends michael said have you got any advice you know so i said yeah look this is what you got to do you're really hot it's just starting um it just had off the wall and i said you're gonna make some great videos so he went off and made Thriller and things yeah. like that. I said, you've got to get a really good manager because it's all going to be coming in and it could all go out if you don't. It, it actually kind of fell apart a little bit later because he, uh, he was talking to me and asking my business advice. And one of the things I said to him was, think about getting into music publishing. And then, he, and he looked at me, kind of, I thought he was joking, he said, I'm going to get yours. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I kind of thought, oh, you. <laughs> but it turned out to be true. And, um... <laughs> and just a few weeks later, just somebody rang me up and said, Michael Jackson's bought Northern Songs. And what happened actually is then I started to ring him up because I thought, okay, here's the guy historically placed to give... Lennon McCartney, a good deal at last. John and I didn't know about song publishing. We literally thought that songs were, were in the air and that everyone owned them. That's, that's literally how we met our first publisher. Hi there. He said, come in. <laughs> Is that what you think? Sit over here. And that was the deal they did. Well, pretty soon you had to get to know they could be owned because <clears throat> someone else knew they weren't in the sky. And he owned them. So that's what happened to us on the Northern Songs thing, which was me and John. Very early on, we, we got managed very well into a little situation. So it meant that the lion's share of whatever songs we did were taken by someone else. When we went to Rishikesh with the Maharishi, the man who owned them sold them while we were out of town. Dick James, his name was. And we got back to town, we said, Dick, you can't do that. He said, you want to bet? And he was quite right, he had 51% of the company. And um, what happened was, at a certain point, these songs changed hands from the original publisher to another guy, and then to another guy. And um, at one of these junctures, um, I was offered the songs. 
Then there was a chance where I could have bought it. I felt very embarrassed buying them myself because they're Lennon McCartney's. I wouldn't have liked to just own them myself. I felt bad about that. So I rang Yoko and I said, look, we've got a chance to buy these songs. The man's asking 20 million, 10 to you, 10 to me. Should we do it? And she actually said, I think we can get it for five. In fact, uh, they didn't go for 20, they went for 50. Straight off the back of Thriller, he was like, cash rich, baby. Because we'd got signed when we were 21 or something in a back alley in Liverpool, and the deal had remained the same. Even though we'd made this company the most famous, hugely successful. So I kept thinking, it was time for a raise. <laughs> you know. uh, well, you would, you know. Yes, I think so. And, um, but I do intend to have a word with him. I spoke to him in L.A., actually. You did? Yeah, and said, look, we've got to come to a good understanding here. Because there are a number of things I don't like about how he runs the company. In our case, the trouble is, like the Nike thing that came up. I don't know if you heard about that. But um, the trouble is that we never did do commercials. With the Beatles, we had all those offers. You know, anybody who publishes songs, you get those offers. Hey, can we use this commercial? We had the offers from the big soft drinks companies. You know who I'm talking about. Big, huge offers to use a Beatles song, to use this and that. But we always turned them down because we believed it would devalue the whole thing. Just takes that little edge off it that people, people who like Beatles stuff kind of go, no, uh, man. Mm. And revolution. They kind of feel something for it, you know. And that was what we tried to do. That's what we were all about, was trying to resist all those commercial offers. We'd be seen to be selling out, which we were keen not to do. You know, we kind of felt that our fans believed in us and that we owed them some sort of integrity. We, 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 we talked to them. We knew what they thought of us, you know. So something like Revolution, you know, it meant more than a pair of sneakers. Uh, National Panasonic is all you need is love. Yeah. Good day sunshine's an Oreo cookie these days. Yeah. And I think the danger is it does devalue it. And I think even commercially, it's not that great a decision. But uh, anyone who knows music publishing, there's a lot of pressure on you to do that because it's a big heap of cash comes in suddenly and, you know, it's very hard to resist for anyone. But I, I think we shouldn't do that. I don't really think we should do that. I think, uh, I think it's more sensible to leave the kind of legend intact. And I think, they'll, I think they'll do great, the songs. I think they'll continue to do great. Now, if you know somebody else wanted to do it, then fine, it's fine. But that's what's happening now, is our songs are tending to get a little bit commercialized now. Which I don't, I'm not too wild on, because it kind of spoils him a little bit. No, but I did talk to him about it, but he, he, he kind of blanked me on it. He kept saying, that's just business, Paul, you know. He just says, oh, that's business, and that's it. And I say, yeah, sure, it's business, but it's also friendship, it's also morals. But we never kind of got to it, and I thought, mm, so we kind of drifted apart. It was no big bust up. Yeah. We kind of drifted apart after that. Okay. So in 1985, Michael Jackson sold 50% of ATV music to Sony. ATV was the umbrella company that the Beatles' music fell under. And then again in 2006, Michael Jackson sold a further 25% to Sony. So at that point, Sony owed 75% of ATV and Jackson owned 25%. And in 2016, the Michael Jackson estate sold the remaining 25% to Sony. And this is when Paul made his move sued Sony. And the lawsuit was settled out of court. The details were never made public, but McCartney now owns most of the Beatles catalogue. Mr. Blue Sky by ELO has some haze. Uh, when I wrote Mr. Blue Sky, I was actually in Switzerland on a mountain. 
On a madness whistling, yo no 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 um, anyway, I was in a mountain and I'd been there like about a week and it'd been cloudy and misty all the time I'd been there. I thought, this is going to be great inspiration. You know, not. And one day the sun came blasting out and it was all blue sky and I could see for, forever, you know, and it was just beautiful and, and I, it made me write Mr. Blue Sky. You know, the Beatles quit because they couldn't play paperback writer. That's why they quit playing on stage. And I was, here I was with all these giant 30-piece orchestras on record and, you know, pianos, guitars and choirs. Oh, fuck off, mate. So there it is, a bye-bye from Jellyfish and LA Guns. And before I say goodbye, I'm going to play you my favourite triple-up song. And it has runs, yes, o's, fars, and it's Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads.
So thus ends my seemingly endless dig on songs that have three words repeated. I have missed a bunch, I'm sure, and I'll be back in a few weeks as I'm heading overseas for a bit. I'm sure I'll think of and research a riveting topic like songs that start with the word the or songs that sound like they swear but they don't. Fucking turn back time. Some interesting shit like that. I'm sure it'll be amazing. And I have had a few messages about this song. Even though I've included it there, I'm not going to include it in Triple Up because I see the Nas as a bit of a nonsense lyric. And I am planning a nonsense lyric episode with stuff just like this. Just like that. Once again, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Check out the website A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole for all past episodes and Spotify playlists for all of the songs used in each episode. If you want to say hello, you can hunt me down on Instagram, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, and you can check out my band, Pretty Foley's Band, on Instagram. And I'm going to finish up with another song we've been demoing for our album. Please share the podcast with a friend if you think they will like it, and I hope to see you soon, and bye.
just put our shoes back on our feet We are strolling back from the ocean She's a force of nature She's why the world keeps turning And the fire keeps burning She's my heart's primordial spark She's a force of nature What the fuck was that?